LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Well, hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, and today I'm riding solo. Todd Adkins is not here, but that is okay because we have an awesome guest, and that is Dr. Matt Carter. We're excited to speak with him today. He is the lead pastor of Sagemont Church in Houston, Texas. Before that, uh, you may know that he was at uh, he was the pastor at the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. So on top of pastoring, he also is an author, and he's written several books as well, uh, including his latest, which is The Long Walk Home. Matt, how you doing today? I'm good, Chandler. How you doing, my friend? Doing pretty well. <laughs> we were just talking uh, about this season of COVID-19 and just how crazy it is. And, you know, for most guests, we'll ask, hey, what is what does COVID look like? But for you, that's that's somewhat of a loaded question because the past six to seven months, not only was it a global pandemic, but you actually ended up leaving uh, the Austin Stone to, to pastor at Sagemont Church. So... What has the past, you know, six to seven months looked like in your life and ministry? Yeah, man, um, me and a couple of guys that I'm actually friends with, um, we're leaving in the process of leaving our churches and going to a, a new assignment right in the middle of all this craziness that's been the virus. I had been uh, approached by Sagemont, um, gosh, I guess it was around... January, February, um, had no intention of ever leaving the Austin Stone. Uh, and that, so that's a whole other story for another day. But again, feeling the leadership of the spirit to do it. And the very first time I ever met with Sagemont's uh, pastor search team was basically the day that the world locked down. I mean, there have been wow. rumblings about this virus. And, and then you see... Uh, the NBA sort of canceled their season and all that. And it was getting bigger and bigger. And then sort of the day that the state of Texas was beginning to lock everything down was the night that I was scheduled to meet with them. And so um, we went ahead and met, we social distanced that night. The first time I'd ever done that, <laughs> that I <ever laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> met with them, uh, had a, had a great meeting again, long story, but since the, the leadership to go, came and told the stone and right about that time, everything is shutting down. And so I went through the process of transitioning into a new church when the church wasn't even meeting. And, um, I made the decision that I was going to meet with, um, every deacon and leader that I could at Sagemont. So I did a lot of them over zoom meetings, which trying to, trying to teach some of these 75 year old guys how to use a zoom was interesting. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, and, and went back and forth to Sagemont met, with people, social distance. And if, if anybody was going to get the virus, it was going to get me or, you know, I was going to be the one, but for some reason I never got it. And, and man, so long story short, uh, I came and I preached, um, virtually for this church, uh, in view of a call. And then they voted virtually for me to come. They had nothing in their constitution and bylaws on how to do that. And so it was sort of unprecedented waters, but I was one of a handful of guys that, that came and became a new pastor of a senior church when the church wasn't even meeting. It's a crazy time. Wow. You know, hearing about the bylaws and, and, and kind of every, everything that churches are wrestling with, I, I think a lot of churches are trying to wrestle with, do we, can we update these in real time to make this fact, you know, reality? So that is crazy. So you said you, you preached in view of a call virtually. 
are you all now somewhat gathering in person? You know, of course, limited capacity. What does that look like now? Well, man, we're in Houston and, um, and, and Houston is, uh, especially the suburbs of Houston are, are pretty conservative, man. And so the, it's like the virus doesn't exist here. It's, it's really <laughs> fascinating because in Austin, it's a, it's a little more, they're a little more intense about it. And, yeah. but we started meeting in August and we're still doing social distancing in the church. Um, but we're running about 65% capacity in one of the services. And then the other service was a smaller service, the contemporary, and that's actually growing, believe it or not, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and, uh, we're at about 110% of pre COVID numbers for that one. And so it's, it's not quite back to normal, but, um, if you were to walk into Sagemont on a normal Sunday morning, besides some few masks around and some, some knuckle bumps, it, it looks fairly similar. <laughs> Well, glad that you are able to finally see your congregation in person and start meeting them in person. So I know you're glad about that. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure we'll come back a little bit more to a little bit of that journey. But let's hop into the five questions here. And we'll just get started with this one is, who are you currently learning from? Who am I currently learning from? Well, man, I'm learning, um, I'm learning from basically three people, one individual and a couple of groups of people. Don't mean to be too cliche here, but I'm actually learning from the Apostle Peter right now. Um, I'm preaching through the book of First Peter as a church and just learning so much from that book. It's um, so applicable uh, to our day and our time. He's speaking to a group of uh, early Christians who were experiencing persecution and suffering and trials. And his whole point is like, how do you rejoice and how do you live as a believer in a non-believing world? And so definitely learn a lot from him. I'm at a stage in my life, uh, Chandler, where I'm learning a lot from peers. Um, when I was younger, I used to go to a lot of conferences and try to glean from, from conferences. But what I've learned is that, man, if I can get in a room with guys that are close to my age, um, in a similar types of churches as me, um, then, then there's so much that I can learn from those guys based on their experiences and our shared, shared environments. Um, I just went on a, a trip where I got to hang out with, uh, JD Greer, who's pastor of the summit and Joby Martin, who's a pastor of 1122 down in Florida, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. And, um, Bruce Frank and just some, some amazing guys that are, um, about my age, similar size churches, and just was an amazing week walking through everything. Learned a lot from them and learned a lot from still from mentors in my life. Um, Larry Osborne is a pastor in California who's about 20 years older than me. Um, I've been spending time with him just going, okay, man, um, now that I'm 47, what, how do I do this pastoring thing? And, um, and, and, here, and avoiding some of the pitfalls that guys seem to face towards the the last half to third of their ministry. And so those are some folks I'm learning from. And I think that's critical to being a leader is continuing to grow. And I'm definitely trying to do that. You know, I'm sure this season, just as you're saying there, you're, you're gathering people around you who can speak in similar, similar life stage, as well as, you know, similar churches that they can kind of speak into what you all are doing. But for you, you left uh, the stone, which was uh, how old is it? It's still under 20 years old. Is that right? Yeah. So this, uh, this Christmas, they'll be 19 years old and I, I planted the Austin stone. Yeah. And so I was there for 18 years. And when you're the founding pastor of a church that's, that's growing and whether, or whether it's growing or not, when you're the founding pastor, you can kind of do what you want. And yeah. I mean, I had an elder board, but, um, definitely had a lot of freedom because it was the church that I planted to, 
to, to, to do whatever we felt led uh, to do within the context of our leadership team. Well, Sagemont's a very different reality. Um, it's not an elder led church. It's a more traditional Baptist church and it's an older congregation. Um, they have committees, they have a lot of, they have a deacon body that's <laughs> most of them are in their seventies. And so I, again, going back to the leadership question and who am I growing from? I've been spending a lot of time on the phone with guys, um, from that environment, those kind of churches, some of the more traditional Southern Baptist guys that, that I know, um, you know, that I've been able to say, Hey, how do you work with a personnel team? And how do you work with a finance team? And how do you work with deacons and things like that? So it's a very different leadership paradigm. For sure. And, you know, for somebody who's listening to this, maybe they are, you know, maybe their circumstances are a lot like yours. They, they've stepped into uh, maybe a more established church, you know, not not just 20 years old, but maybe they're looking at a legacy church where, right. hey, we have a legacy of a hundred year old, uh, hundred years of ministry in this community. Um, for you, you know, you kind of shared a little bit of the things that you're learning there. Uh, or, would you be able to share maybe two or three other things of how to maybe honor the legacy, but just things that you're learning as you've stepped into this role? Well, man, that you literally just said it. One of the biggest things that I'm facing is is how do you honor the legacy of the past, but then transition this church that hired you because they want you to help them. Mm -hmm. And, um, Sagemont is a large church. They run about three to 4,000 people. It's a, it's one of the coolest church buildings you've ever seen in your life. They're on the corner of sort of Southeast Houston, uh, 45, which is the major highway through Houston and the, in the big loop around Houston. And they're right in the corner of that 50 acres. It's incredible. But the pastor that was there before is an amazing man of God. He, he was the founding pastor. He was there for 53 years. Wow. So they had one pastor in their history <laughs> and he retired and I'm the new guy and I'm the young guy. And so I'm 47 years old and I, at, at the Austin stone, that was ancient. Um, <laughs> totally switched. <laughs> that's right. But here I'm the, I'm the young guy. And and, you know, you've got the older folks who are like, hey, whippersnapper, what are you telling us to do? And I'm like, I, I have been in ministry for a while. I've got a doctorate. I try to remind them it's not my first time. But, <laughs> man, you, you hit it. It's, it's the biggest challenge we're facing is how do, you, um, how do you honor the past? How do you um, keep the DNA of the organization that's good and right and healthy, but at the same time transition the culture into something in, in, in the areas that need to be transitioned without just causing World War III. And, and that is, um, that's how I spend most of my days. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's tough. I didn't realize, man, how long did you say that the founding pastor was there? 53 years, right? Yeah, he was, he was there 52 years. He's the only pastor they've ever had. And so one of, the, one of the things that one of my mentors told me, he said, when you go into a church, when you transition into a legacy church, he said, man, don't go any and change and change anything for two years. Don't touch anything. Just preach the Bible and and go to the hospital and hang out with your older folks. But when I got here, um, they were they were really bleeding younger people. A lot of the younger families were were transitioning out, were leaving just because of the age of the, the former pastor and and that sort of thing. And so when I got here, the younger part of the congregation is screaming from the rooftops, change everything. Wow. And the older congregation, part of the congregation, which is an amazing group of people are like, Hey, don't change stuff too quickly. And so having to navigate those waters have been a lot of fun and they've been a great challenge, but it's definitely challenging. For sure. 
Well, <laughs> stepping into this, I mean, what is the main point of emphasis for, for your leadership team and maybe even for yourself right now? Okay. Um, talked about it a little bit. I think the main point of our leadership right now is just the changing of culture. Um, because culture is something that you can change because a lot of times you can't change the name of the church or the style of music, or you can't change, um, a lot of the programs that are going on immediately when you come in as a new pastor, but you can help change the culture. And, and so that's some of the things we're doing. We're, we're trying to instill, I'm trying to instill uh, just a culture of excellence in the church. It's like, Hey, if we're going to do it, let's do it well. I'm trying to instill a culture of a team based approach to our ministry and to our leadership. When I got here, everybody was kind of in silos doing their own thing and, and really coming together and saying, how, how can we, how can we be better together when we do this? And so there's several areas that, um, just trying to shift and change the culture of, 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 of this church. And the thing we're really doing as a leadership team is trying to develop a, a leadership and discipleship pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, Sagemont was a very traditional Southern Baptist church. You have, which, you know, they had worship services and they had programs. And that was sort of the definition of success. So we get people to come listen to us preach and we can get them into these programs, then, then we win. But really getting people in the pews to view themselves as missionaries and disciple makers uh, was not part of, of what they were doing. And so getting my team right now is trying to figure out a way, how do we get these people to realize that the goal is not just to come to church and hear preaching, but to live on mission wherever God has them. Uh, for the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ and, and trying to be strategic about how we're doing that. And so that's where we're spending a lot of our time. Love that. It is, man, that's, that's so encouraging to hear. And, you know, one, one of the questions that pops into my head after that is I know for you, you love preaching and teaching and, you know, you know, kind of changing culture. A lot of that probably happens behind the scenes with, with the team <clears throat> that right. you're leading uh, because then they will lead those in the church but a big portion of it is also what you're teaching and preaching from the pulpit and how you're, you're opening up God's word. Just as you're saying, <laughs> that mentor told you, don't do anything for two years, but right. preach the Bible. So for you, um, you know, somebody who loves preaching and teaching, I know, you know, a lot of people look up to how, how you open up the word. How have you seen, you know, I know you've only been there for about half a year, but even as you're taking the approach to the pulpit, how are you trying to shift culture by the way through your preaching and teaching? Well, the, the previous pastor was a really good communicator, um, but he was uh, more of a topical preacher. And uh, there's nothing wrong with topical preaching, but, you know, he would take a verse of the Bible and then he would sort of launch off into whatever it is that he wanted to talk about. And, and I'm an expositional preacher, more in the, in the classical model. I, I go to the word of God first, see what that's saying, and that's what I'm teaching. And so that... I don't know how, how I'm shifting culture through it because it was already a very Bible based church. Yeah. But I'll tell you one thing it's done is it saved my backside <laughs> because <laughs> I've gone into the pulpit, I've opened up the Bible and I've preached and the people are really enjoying it. That's the one thing I'm hearing is like, man, we love your preaching. We love that you open up the Bible and you preach from the word of God. And we wanted that. We missed that. And so the few things that I have changed and the few challenges that I have faced in those five, six months 
I'm hearing a, hearing a lot of, man, we don't know about that young guy. He's changing a lot, but man, he can preach. And so <laughs> there you go. the Bible has saved my lunch. But um, man, if there's one thing um, that I would say that it's doing, it's, it's really creating this culture of it. The Bible says that we're going to do it and, um, and that we're going we're gonna to base our lives not on what the culture's saying or what politics are saying, but what the word of God's saying. And that's a, that's a subtle, but a pretty profound shift for a lot of these folks that have been here a long time. Hmm. You know, I want to go back to, you're talking about shifting the culture and, and kind of shifting the idea of that we're missionaries all the time, missionaries <laughs> to our city. And I know that was a big, uh, big, big part of your DNA, which in case was also part of the stone where you were pastoring before. And you know, you, you somewhat leave an established culture to come to one that you're, you're needing to shift. Um, how, how is, how have you tangibly, maybe like a few practical ways? Cause I, I think a lot of people hear that, man, we want to be for the city. And I, that's such a great calling of a church, um, to be missionaries to your city, you know, as you're leading your, your team and, and your staff, what are some ways that you guys are trying to to push people towards that. And even just as you were talking about kind of a discipleship pathway and leadership pipeline, kind of moving all of that forward. Could you share maybe a few ways that you guys are doing all that? Yeah. And so let me give you some real practical things we're doing to sort of change the culture of getting people to um, be missionaries. And what I mean by that is pastor Charles Spurgeon, you guys have heard of him <laughs> said that uh, as a Christian, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. And so in other words, there's no such thing as a non missional Christian. And so a couple of practical things that I do um, in order to make sure that happens is one is I, I try to make it a fairly consistent theme in my preaching is that when, whatever the whatever the text, I don't do this every week, but I try to really not only bring everything back to the cross, so to speak, but I try to bring everything back to how can you live this out in the context that you're in in order to be a light for the expansion of the kingdom. And so creating this missional, raising the missional temperature in the church, I think is done a lot through the pulpit. Um, the other thing we're doing is through the, our small groups. We actually have a Sunday school model here at Sage Mark. Okay. It's called iConnect. I really like it personally. Um, Kevin Peck, which is the lead pastor of the Stone and I, you know, right before I left, we're really doing a lot of research on small groups and what makes people connect the best to church. And really long story short, we'd sort of come to the conclusion that people need the movement. They need the large church. They need, hey, we like Austin Stone. They need that small group of people that, that are their friends that they really know. But we were also uh, realizing that people needed a tribe. They needed a medium-sized group. And, and I won't go into all the details of that. But so anyway, I love the fact that Sagemont has this Sunday school type of model. And one of the things we're doing, it's one of these changes, I'm probably going to get in trouble, but I'm transitioning these um, Sunday schools in, into a place where not only are they they're just going and studying the Bible on Sundays, but they're getting on mission together. Um, how can you as a group, as a medium sized group of 40, 50, 60, 70 people. Okay. That's great. Is you're studying the Bible. That's great that you're praying. We want you to do that. But how are you together living on mission outside of the four walls of this church? And we're, we're teaching them that, walking them through that, showing them, giving them opportunities to do it. And so that's sort of raising the missional temperature, if you will. And then right now we're in the process of, um, I've been meeting with Will Mancini, who's a church strategist, and and um, he's got a really cool thing he's doing right now that helps individual people in the church find out their unique calling in life and 
and um, how has God strategically wired them and helping people walk through this process so that they can know, okay, this is how God's gifted me. This is how God's wired me. This is my unique calling in my life and then helping them find those pathways to do that. Because I think, again, I'll say this, man, I think a lot of our churches, the, the definition of success is to get them to come into church, hear some preaching and change some diapers or, and put some money in the plate. And um, the people in our pews have within them the power of the resurrection. And, we, and, and they have the Holy Spirit, too. And we want to make sure that they discover that and get trained in that and then utilize that for the kingdom. Man, thanks for sharing that. I know uh, for, some, for some of those listening, that's just super practical. And they're like, man, I'm taking notes. I'd love to be able to implement that uh, where we are. So, man, thanks for sharing. So let's move to the next questions. You know, thinking of your daily routine, what are two or three things you absolutely must do daily that benefit your leadership? You know, I, I, I figured I could talk about the stuff that most guys would say, you need to pray and you get in the word and stuff like that. I think most guys know that. So I tried to think of some stuff that I'm, I'm doing lately that's a little bit outside of the norm and, and, and involved with my leadership. And one of them is I'm really trying to remind myself to walk in humility and to lead in humility. I mean, there's so many guys, for lack of better words, that have gotten taken out lately. And it yeah. wasn't because of some sexual impropriety. It wasn't because of financial situations. It was because they were mean and because they were domineering. And especially in this younger generation, man, we cannot roll around like we're the king and we're, we're the guy in charge and everybody is, is there for us. But so I, I really try to remind myself to lead out of kindness and humility um, with my team. So I'm doing that on a daily basis. Definitely minister, number two, minister out of an overflow of my walk with Jesus. I've had times and seasons in my life where um, <clears throat> I, I got pretty dry and pretty empty, and that's a recipe for trouble. And so just making sure that my walk with the Lord is is uh, what my ministry is coming out of. That's where the power is, and that's where the fun is. And the third real practical thing is I'm trying to daily be an encourager. Um, man, I just long story, but I've realized the power of encouragement in my own life. And, uh, and so I'm trying to walk around and make sure people know that I appreciate them and love them and proud of what they're doing and trying to build that culture also in my church. Hmm. You know, we had, um, uh, Gene gets on, this is a few months back, probably in March. And, you know, a man who's been in ministry for, for many, many years, I think when we talked to him, he said he was 80, 88. <laughs> so yeah. he's seen a lot. <clears throat> And he mentioned sharing, you know, letters of encouragement to, you know, he was talking about past seminary professors, past, past pastoral influences and friends. And he would, he wrote a letter to some, one of his old seminary professors and just said, Hey, thank you so much for, you know, how you poured into me. This is the impact that you had on me. And he had a conversation with that pastor or that seminary professor. And they were talking, he's like, I don't get many of those letters. Mm. And, 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 you know, oftentimes people think, man, they always, they get so much encouragement. They get so many letters saying, thank you. Emails saying, Hey, great job on Sunday. But I think hearing you say being an encourager, man, that is something that we can all grow in. Um, just letting those who impact us know, Hey, thank you for that. But also for those we're leading, Hey, you're doing a great job. So I think that's key. The second part there is the people you're leading. Um, if you've been at a church for a long time, you probably underestimate how much your approval means to your staff and your body that you're pastoring. And um, 
I say that because I think I did at the Austin Stone, and I, I just didn't realize how much um, I think folks desired input from me. And and I realized it when it came to Sagemont because my staff here, they know like this is a new guy, <laughs> you know, and I've never worked <laughs> yeah. with him before. I don't know if he likes me or not. And so I've realized the importance of coming to people pretty frequently and giving them feedback and, and, and encourage them and say, Hey, you're doing a great job. Thank you. I saw that you did that. That was awesome. And just making sure that, um, they're not hanging out there with no idea how they're doing. Yeah, that was very true. Especially with, with having a new boss, <laughs> you definitely want to right. know, am I doing this how you would want it to be done? I know things are a little different, so <laughs> that's a good reminder. Well, let's move to the, to your home now and, and thinking about leadership in there. So what is, what does leading your family look like? Well, that's a great question, man. I two things in this season. Um, I'm trying to be present for my wife. Um, I think the key word there is present. Um, man, I'm, I've got a new mountain to climb, a new a new war to fight. <laughs> I've got a new yeah. church to grow, and and so, man, I'm wired for that kind of stuff. I live for those catalytic moments and. And I'm having so much fun doing it, but I, it's very easy for me to just go get in that battle and forget that I have a family at home. And so, mm-hmm. man, one of the things I'm doing just real practically is I had to get to the place where I, when I go home, I turn my phone off. And when I say turn it off, I don't physically turn it off, but I go put it away yeah. and, um, and I go check it maybe twice in the evening just to make sure not anybody has died. I mean, and, <laughs> but whereas before I think I would have it with me and I'd be looking at social media or be checking, you know, answering texts in the course of the night. And I'm like, man, I just can't do it. And, and so I put my phone up. And so when I'm having, when I go home, I'm, I'm present with my wife. And then, um, when she's talking to me, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to her and engaging her. And the same is true for my son. I've got two kids in college, but one that's in high school. He's a freshman in high school and he's my last kid before I'm an empty nester. And my other two children have are gone in college now. And so you realize how fast those last four years go. They fly. I've literally got three and a half years left and my son's gone. I've got three and a half years to pour into him and then he's on his own. And so I'm trying to be a lot more intentional about just making sure I have as many of those conversations as I can with him. And check this out, man. I'm, this is for anybody out there who doesn't have a kid that's driving yet. Okay. <laughs> you think you've got till they're 18 and in college to raise them. You don't. You have them till they're 16. You have till 16 to raise them. Because once they turn 16, you never see them again. They get their cars and they're gone. And you have a few moments, you know, maybe a, a, a month to engage with them, but not very often. And yeah. it gets worse and worse as they get older. So I've, you know, Sammy turned 16 in, in March. So I have him home and in the car with me just for a few more months. And so I'm trying to be real intentional about that. Man, I appreciate your uh, intentionality there. And now I know a big piece, uh, I know this is years past, you you also coached football on the side. Are you still doing that? No, I'm not. And I hate it that I'm not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was a kind of part-time high school football coach at my son's private school in Austin. Yeah. And uh, man, I'm not getting to do it. And I hate it. <laughs> Had to hang up the whistle, retired. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not ready. I think about it way too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, uh once again, appreciate the intentionality you shared there and that's, that's good stuff. Well, thinking about, I mean, you know, you have, as you said, you have two kids in college, you, you have one who's, who's a freshman in high school. 
going back to yourself kind of in their days, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? My 20-year-old self? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Chandler, I would definitely tell my 20-year-old self, don't eat that airport sushi in the New Mexico airport. (laughs) That would be the first thing I'd tell him. Um, Yeah, I've talked about this a little bit. I would say definitely place your wife first before your ministry. Um, Jennifer and I, my wife are doing awesome. We have a really good marriage, but we went through a really, really rough season about year 11 and uh, we're in year 25 now, but about year 11, it was rough. And it really came down to the fact that my church had become my mistress. And, um, and so I would go grab that guy and I'd say, Hey man, uh, Jennifer is amazing, but you're going to get stuck in that church and be pursuing growth and, and you're going to wear her out, man. And you're going to, you're going to get close to losing her heart. And so you need to make sure that you're, that, that girl and her heart is besides Jesus, the number one priority in your life. Um, and I, I, again, I would tell the young guy, man, lead from gentleness and humility. I was a, I was a firecracker when I was young, I had a temper and I would get frustrated at people really quick. I wouldn't really yell at them, but I'd get frustrated. I would tell them, look, man, you got to look at the long haul in ministry. Mistakes are going to happen. Don't freak out. I would tell, be kind to your staff, be gentle with your wife and your kids, and just be, just lead out of humility. And uh, don't take things too serious because everything's going to work out. Man, that is great advice, you know, whether for your 20-year-old self or even for those who have been in ministry for over 20 years. Just just great advice to hear. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and walking through the five leadership questions. And for you listening, thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. See you next time. Thank you.